former first lady has passed away. A momentous occasion for a late night talk show. Apple is improving their messaging with Android phones. The usual controversy surrounding x Cars will soon be sold through Amazon and a massive shakeup for the makers of ChatGPT. This and a whole lot more taking over the headlines the past seven days. I'm Jason Grewal, and welcome to The Fresh Wire. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. Welcome back to another episode of The Fresh Wire. Been a long time coming, as it always is. Every Tuesday night, I release a brand new Fresh Off The Presses episode and I always appreciate every single one of you that tune in to listen whenever you can. Wherever you are, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a good morning, afternoon, evening, day, or night. Thank you once again. As I am recording this, it is currently 10.21 p.m., November 21st, 2023. I originally planned on recording this a little earlier, but a big thing came out that I absolutely loved every second of watching. HBO now has a show for the Miami Dolphins. Hard Knocks. They do it every year for a team in their training and a team that is in season. And this year they picked the Miami Dolphins, the one and only, the team I root for every week. Go Dolphins. And I watched it before doing the podcast. And yeah, if you want to watch something that is cinematic and sports all in one, I absolutely recommend it. It is a great time, especially because we won. If we didn't win, it probably would have hurt a little bit more. But yeah, it overall great and i recommend watching it maybe i'll start doing this every week where i start recommending something to watch it probably would have went to attack on titan as the show recently ended and i'm starting to get into it now go figure but no the hard knocks miami dolphins now streaming on max this is not a sponsor i just absolutely loved watching it and i will absolutely keep my eyes on it when it releases every tuesday night probably before the podcast but maybe i'll fine tune in where i'll do the podcast before anyway with that being said there is something I have to start out with because it was very big that this happened. Uh, Rosalind Carter, the former first lady for the United States, has passed away. She passed uh, Sunday at her home in Georgia, right alongside her family. In recent months, she has been living with dementia and only two days prior entered hospice care. She passed away at 96. She was the first lady for the U.S. alongside President Jimmy Carter from 1977 to 81. And she's been an advocate for mental health, caregiving, social justice, and women's rights throughout her public life. In a statement, former President Jimmy Carter said, Rosalind was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. She gave me wise guidance and encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew somebody loved and supported me. She did a lot before she was the First Lady, after she was the first lady for decades, she had a very, very active life doing what she loved, caring for other people. Uh, her and Jimmy Carter were married for 77 years. Very, very impressive stuff. And uh, she's survived by her children and 11 grandchildren and 14 great children. So um, rest in peace. She will be missed. So now... We're going to start off with a few little entertainment topics or of sort. And there's one big one that I unfortunately missed on checking out, but it was a pretty big deal. David Letterman has been known to be a very, very popular late night talk show host for a very long time. And 
For the first time in more than eight years, he returned to the Ed Sullivan Theater with a standing ovation right by his current successor, Stephen Colbert. And yeah, they hyped this up a lot, and I completely understand why. He's an extremely beloved talk show host that I think went to do on other tasks, uh, other things, I think something involving Netflix, I think. It might have been someone else, but... Yeah, David Letterman, standing ovation, absolutely deserved. He's done an incredible show for a few decades, and yeah, good for him. It's his first time back on the CBS show since leaving in May 2015 after 23 years. He's been hosting an interview series on Netflix titled My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. So pretty good stuff. If you want to check it out, you can search it on your own terms. Pretty cool. I have a lot of respect for him. What I don't have a lot of respect for is Netflix. Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. I finally canceled him, and I'm fully committed to it because Netflix, when it comes to shows that people like, I think I think maybe the goal is don't like a show because if you don't like a show, it's more likely it stays on. Five shows a few days ago were canceled by Netflix amid the impact of the recent strike where it ended about... Close to two weeks ago, the actor strike finally concluded, and a lot of shows that I think for the most part were well-received for Netflix have been confirmed they will not move forward. Live-action shows such as Shadow and Bone, which had a very big start, I think, in 2021, had two seasons, Glamorous, and adult anime comedies Agent Elvis, Farzar, and Captain Fall. I think Agent Elvis, I think, got pretty good reviews, that specifically, so it is pretty disappointing that these shows had Matthew McConaughey as Elvis Presley. It, I, I've heard pretty good things about it, but now it's, uh, I'll, I'll have heard good things about it. I'll probably still check it out whenever I can before my Netflix subscription finally runs out. But, yeah, it's a bit devastating, you know, these shows that get canceled, and then that's that. Meanwhile, other shows in the past few months that have been renewed, One Piece and Castlevania Nocturne, you know, some two shows that I've been meaning to check out in a while, but also a lot of other shows. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, disappointing. It's always disappointing shows that are well-received that decide, you know what? Nah, we're going to move on and make uh, another thing that's really bad. Um, I'm not going to mention like a fake example because a lot of people have, you know, differing opinions on shows, and I feel like for my kind of podcast, I don't want to piss off some people with what I do every now and then. Eh, I'll go a little overboard every now and then, I'll accept it. By the way, this is from an exclusive by Deadline that they covered this back on the 15th, so little, not too long after my podcast last week, but I did want to mention it because just always so canceling things, just not great. Not great. Um, but what was great, wow, was the game last night. The football game, Eagles-Chiefs, apparently it had the largest audience for Monday Night Football in 27 years. That's, you know, that's what happens when you decide, you know what, let's put this game on ABC along with ESPN and ESPN2 and whatnot. I, I think the plus, but whatever. And, of course, it's also a huge match. It was the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. And just beautiful stuff. It was Overall, really solid game. 28.96 million viewers. And the Eagles won, by the way. I mean, they're in the, for people with a little bit of expertise on football, 
they're in the other conference that the Dolphins are not. The Chiefs are in the same conference. So, of course, I was rooting for the Eagles. Sorry, Chiefs fans. Y'all just won the Super Bowl. I want to have a chance myself. And this was the largest audience for Monday Night Football in 27 years, as I mentioned. Last time it was this much was the Packers-Cowboys game. Actually, around this month, 27 years ago, where it managed over 31 million viewers. And for a little uh, curiosity, the second largest this week was the Jets-Bills game that played on CBS, where it got nearly 21 million viewers. Actually, declined over Week 10 to become the smallest NFL national window audience since Week 1. Ooh, devastating. It was also very, very, very one-sided, and also for a Dolphins fan, a little disappointing. But luckily, Dolphins play Jets Friday, and I hope I don't regret saying go Dolphins, because I will absolutely be watching the game from minute negative one to minute whenever it finishes. Anyway, what I will probably not be finishing or starting anytime soon, as I've been very busy myself, but a lot of big films are coming out this fall. You've got Disney's Wish. You've got Napoleon, which I think is being published by Apple Films. And yeah, I, Disney, I'm assuming, wants to get back into the rhythm of making huge successes animation-wise. Strange World was not a success in any matter, unless success means failure. And Elemental, which was at first a horrific box office beginning that somehow turned into, eh, you know what, not that bad. So, you know, a lot, a lot coming there. And Trolls Band Together also coming out uh, in, or has come out, but now it's really pushing forward. Don't know what to expect from that. I saw the first Trolls, and I'm like, okay, this is not for me. So take that for what you will. But I'm certain there will be an audience for it that will probably like it a lot. So there's that. Now let's get into the meat and potatoes. A lot of tech stuff. I had a bit of a struggle determining which will go first, but I've decided iPhones will go first, which is crazy for me to say as an Android fanboy. Not really fanboy, but hopefully you get what I mean. I've never owned an iPhone. I don't plan to, but this is big news for people with Android phones. Apple has finally caved in, whether by force legally or not, and they will be bringing forward RCS to their iPhones starting 2024. RCS is rich communication services, which introduces a lot of functionality that SMS, which a lot of phones have had for a few decades now, just doesn't have. For example, read receipts, typing indicators, high-resolution images and videos, and theoretically support for encryption. Now, the current RCS standard does not have encryption, the universal one. But Google's, that is in hundreds of millions of Android smartphones now with their Google Messages app, supports Google's end-to-end -end encryption integration of their RCS standard. It's a little confusing, admittedly. But I think Apple has said they're not going to support that, and they're only going to support the RCS universal profile, which as of now does not have encryption built in, but can theoretically have encryption added in to the universal profile in time for Apple to do it. So rather than for people that, let's say, use Samsung messages, they don't, I think, have end-to-end -end encryption if they're talking with Google messages people because it doesn't have Samsung didn't add that functionality to their app. I think it might be an app thing. And Google's has end-to-end -end encryption, but not the universal profile. So if you're somehow talking to another person with RCS but they're not using Google messages, you don't have the end-to-end -end, end -end encryption. 
Apple wants to change that. So when iPhones receive RCS support, they'll have end-to-end -end encryption as an open thing, open standard. You don't need Google's integration at all. And this is also just to confirm not iMessage opening up to other platforms. I'll explain the hilariousness going on with that by another third-party company, but this isn't iMessage just natively, officially going to Android phones or anything like that. It is currently unknown how far this universal profile will go for iPhone users to Android users. I'm certain there are iMessage exclusive features that will probably not be moving forward, like iMessage games or whatnot, the, the extra nice things. But Typing indicators, read receipts, and especially encryption will be a huge, huge deal. Now, the reason why this may have went, just as USB Type-C was added to the latest and greatest iPhones, the 15 and 15 Pro, is likely as a response to pressure from the European Union's Digital Markets Act, where it has a rule that requires major companies such as Apple to make their services interoper interoperable with other platforms. The European Commission opened up an investigation back in December, September, September, for iMessage to determine whether it should be considered a, quote, core platform service. Apple argued, reportedly, that iMessage is not popular enough in Europe, and I can definitely see that. iMessage is extremely popular in the United States of America, and not really in Europe. You've got a lot of people just using WhatsApp because it's free, it's already end-to-end encrypted, and it's already on a bunch of different devices because of its simplicity and so easy to get. Um, but of course, it is owned by Meta, so you can imagine some people saying, no, never, I'm never going to get WhatsApp. It's like, okay. Um, but for Android people, it's been a lot tougher to not have WhatsApp in a way, especially in the U.S. The U.S., SMS, it's just, you know, I mean, teens, reportedly, they get bullied for not having an iPhone. I mean, it's it's awful. Almost nine, in, 9 out of 10 in the U.S. have an iPhone, and it's likely that a lot of them are probably because they're hand-me-downs from the parents and or they don't want to get bullied for having green bubbles. It's disgusting, and I'm, it makes me sad. I just barely got out of there uh, from high school where my friend group was kind of like half and half, half of us iPhones, half of us Android. We didn't really care the whole way through. It wasn't until college that did change a bit, and by my sophomore year, I think my sophomore year, like almost my entire friend group had iPhones. They even had like an iMessage group chat that I found out a lot uh, a while later, and I was just uh, not exactly happy. That did change though. My senior year, I think it was back to being like half and half, just how I like it. So, yeah, it's you know pretty good stuff. They have confirmed that uh, they have confirmed to nine to five Mac that RCS messages will remain green bubbles. So this whole green versus blue situation is still going to be a stupid, stupid problem. But people can't really say as much, oh, it's because images just look so much uglier. I mean, just get WhatsApp. But you know, if you don't want to, sure. But now they can't really say that. Now if it's through RCS to RCS, which is very likely to be a big thing once this goes through, because I, I can imagine there are more Android phones that support RCS than not. So, feature-wise, it'll be a lot less of an issue. Dare I say, group chats will probably be less affected, and it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I don't know a lot of people that I talk to nowadays. I mean, I just talk to people through WhatsApp. I don't really use the Messages app, admittedly, the Google one, but, you know, I'll definitely test it out, and, you know, when it comes around, I'll definitely be interested in how it goes from there. 
What I'm also going to be very interested in keeping up my eye on is what's going on with OpenAI. It is turmoil. Not too long ago, uh, actually four days ago, the board of OpenAI abruptly announced that the co-founder and CEO, Sam Altman, was out effective immediately. He was fired after a review, quote, concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its abilities to exercise its responsibilities, unquote. And it's been a heck of a wild ride since then. I don't even know where to begin, but I will try my best. Pretty much, he was fired as CEO. He was a very well-known, well-recognized person in the world of AI. He was right there from the very beginning. I mean, he's a co-founder. You know, ChatGPT, Dolly, all these new iterations, partnership with Microsoft. You know, he's been the CEO and co-founder of it all. And he was just abruptly fired. So talks to restore him back to the board have seemed to have fell apart. And now Emmett Shear, who's the former boss of Twitch, is currently the interim CEO. Hundreds of OpenAI employees Monday morning, including the former interim CEO and a board member, have signed a letter saying they would leave the company for jobs in Microsoft unless Altman is reinstated. It comes just about... A year or so after the launch of ChatGPT, which, as we all know, the rest is history. ChatGPT has absolutely taken over the world in terms of its capability and its just impressiveness with communicating to what is completely an artificial intelligence bot. So since then, a lot of things have happened. You know, as I said, hundreds of OpenAI employees have threatened to resign. Reportedly, at one point, Sam Altman has been trying to return as Open CEO, Open AI CEO. Sorry, but in the meantime, it seems like he may be joining. Sam Altman may be joining Microsoft, and it seems a little hectic. They're offering to match uh, Microsoft's open to match Open AI's compensation. It seems like they're coming in hot during all of this. <laughs> ChatGPT has been introduced with a new feature um, for voice communication, now available to all users for free. And, yeah, this looks uh, this looks kind of weird. I mean, definitely a situation that needs a little more time to have all together, reportedly. As I mentioned, Sam Altman has been hired by Microsoft, along with another co-founder, Greg Brockman. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's this is a very strange scenario that I don't know how it'll end, but it looks like no matter what happens, Microsoft will win. <laughs> they have I mean, they've had a huge, huge partnership with OpenAI this whole time. I mean, recently they Microsoft has rebranded Bing Chat, which has been utilizing ChatGPT for for a while to Copilot, Microsoft Copilot better competing with ChatGPT. I mean, they use the same thing, but I guess nothing else is really close. I mean, you can't really say Google Bard. I don't think Amazon's ALEXA don't want to trigger devices that may be around, but they don't want that doesn't that's not really using generative AI a whole lot. So it's really Google Bard and that's, you know, pretty far behind as far as I know. So, it's funny they're competing with themselves. That's hilarious. But yeah, they did rename it to Microsoft Copilot. So that is also a big thing. And I don't know. 
Uh, <laughs> a little complicated for me to talk about, so I'm not going to dive into it much further, but maybe I'll make like a special episode or maybe a special article about it because there's a whole lot to get into, and I'll just keep my eye on it for sure. What I also kept my eye on, as I mentioned in the podcast last week, as the Nothing Chats app was about to kickstart you know, integrating iMessage into Android phones one way or another, well, no more. A lot of reports came out that it was some aspects of it were very unencrypted and you were able to easily access part like files or something with the version of nothing chats. So it's since been pulled from the Google Play Store and now Sunbird, the app that brought iMessage to Android, has temporarily shut down the service over quote security concerns, unquote. Uh, in a notice to people that use the app, Sunbird says it has, quote, decided to pause Sunbird usage for now, unquote, as it investigates reports that its messages aren't actually end-to-end -end encrypted. Little recap for Sunbird. It's not nothing chats, but they use the same architecture, same infrastructure. And uh, Sunbird launched last year as a messaging app that attempted to put this blue versus green bubble battle to rest. Currently, it's only been available to people who signed up for the waitlist, including me. I just wanted to try it out. I don't really use Apple stuff, so it wouldn't be the end of the world for me to try it out for a little bit. But I maybe I never will now, as all this controversy comes out about it's the fact that it's actually not as encrypted as we thought it was. I mean, you're either encrypted or not. And uh, as I said in the podcast last week, Sunbird partnered with Nothing, which is a phone brand owned by a co-founder of... OnePlus, a pretty well-known, at least in the Android ecosphere, competitor to Samsung, Google, and whatnot. And Nothing Chats was launched. It was supposed to let owners of the Nothing Phone 2, which, re which released, I think, earlier this year, send text via iMessage, but it was pulled just one day after its launch. Nothing said it had to fix, quote, several bugs, unquote, within the app, but its removal came around the same time. A post from text.blog revealed messages sent via Sunbird may not be end-to-end -end encrypted. So, Sunbird still hasn't commented on the app shutdown, but its message to users says, quote, we will update you when we are ready to proceed, unquote. So it's no longer listed on the Google Play Store, and I have no idea what's going to come out of this. Now that this, you know, technically people can say, oh, well, now Apple is integrating RCS to their iPhone, so iMessage isn't, ne isn't as necessary. Well, I mean... The RCS chats, for all intents and purposes, will still be green, according to Apple themselves. So, you know, the whole iMessage problem, now you can't really, you won't be able to say much, hopefully, that feature-wise, green bubbles are so much worse with the typing indicators and higher quality images and videos, maybe even encryption. It's going to have a lot of the features that iMessage has just through an open standard rather than proprietary. That might be how I see it. Best case scenario for Android users. Best case scenario for iPhone fanboys, fangirls, and fan everyone else is, <laughs> you know, it's just the new standard and nothing else, maybe encryption. So hopefully it is the former. What is also good for people, don't know how else to put it, but I'm mixing things up a bit, is Snapchat. I say former because I remember being a lot into Snapchat in my days of college of your long time ago, graduated last year. And, well, Snapchat's doing something a little interesting. They're testing out something that is pretty experimental but could get the eyes of a lot of people. It's a paid ad-free plan. 
You know it, you love it, ad-free. I'm a huge fan of ad-free stuff, but I don't know about ad-free Snapchat. I mean, from the looks of the screenshot, in Australian dollars, it is $15.99 a month for ad-free. The normal one being $5.99 a month. So it's going to be probably a big jump. It's experimental. It's been available in Norway as of early September, but it's looking like it could go a little further. They're probably experimenting it a bit more, and we could see in the U.S. in the coming whenever. I don't know. But I will definitely not get it. I don't have Snapchat Plus as is, and I don't use it anywhere near as much as I used to. But even if I did, I I don't know, paying for social media, I mean, come on. X slash Twitter.com is already screwing things up. Like, you really want to, you know, admit that they're not entirely in the wrong? I disagree. But what I don't disagree with is what Game Maker is doing for indie developers. They are ditching a subscription model. Now, Game Maker is actually something I used to use back in, I don't even know, middle school? I think middle school, early high school, to develop a game. It was involving two blocks, and it was supposed to be something really difficult, but I became non-committal, and I decided, eh, I'm not going to... It got very complicated, and... I was way too young to be doing um, that sort of things. Although, if you are young and going into game development, I have the most respect for you. Keep going. Don't let anyone uh, tell you otherwise. But now, starting today, actually, from the 21st, Game Maker will be free to use for non-commercial, non-console projects. And the company is eliminating its indie slash creator tier monthly subscription fee in favor of a one-time paid licensing fee of $99. Hmm. Kind of seems like how it used to be. I don't remember doing a monthly payment for Game Maker. I used to use the free version. Then one day I entered some giveaway on Reddit and won the version. I think I had to like show off what I was working on and they just gave it to me for free. It was pretty cool. I feel a little bad that I never got you know, to the point of releasing a game out of it. I had like a few prototypes I shared with my friends, but yeah, a bit unfortunate, but... um. Russell Kay, the head of Game Maker, said that the changes were a way for the company to express its thanks to users, explaining that since 2021, it has seen its user base triple in size. Kay also had some subtle but effective shade for Game Maker's competitors. Here's the quote. We have seen other platforms making awkward moves with their pricing and terms, so we thought, what if we did the opposite, something that could actually be good for developers, unquote. Absolutely referencing what's been happening with Unity, and their whole, whole, whole fiasco with their licensing fees that they've since backtracked a little bit on. I think their CEO steps down or something. And, uh, yeah, absolutely tarnished their reputation. Game Maker is definitely not anywhere near as large as Unity or Unreal Engine. But it's definitely a starting ground for a lot of developers. And I'm glad that it will now be free for non-commercial stuff and um, very cheap otherwise. I definitely grew up getting experience from that. I think it was, I think I had the free version, but it was very limited. Now it looks like maybe there's just no limits on the free version. You just can't make money on it. So massive respect. And I hope people continue following their dreams. And for some people, that, those dreams might involve generative AI. And Amazon is now offering free educational courses on generative AI with an aim to, quote, uh, to extend, quote, critical skills, unquote, to adults and young learners everywhere. The new initiative is called, quote, AI Ready, unquote, and it's an extension of current Amazon Web Service-based AI skills offered by Amazon, now including eight free courses covering AI project management and development. Amazon has said that 21 million people have already trained on AWS cloud computing skills through its programs, 
and it hopes 2 million will use its AI courses by 2025. A little vague, just the year. Probably means by the end of 2025. Those interested can access the initial training, generative AI training, and intro to Code Whisperer on the AWS Educate site. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. And, you know, generative AI is extremely exciting. It's it's the new buzzword of the year. It's absolutely AI buzzword. But, you know, not entirely in awful ways. It's shown how incredible it can be. And uh, I am only excited, but, of course, I will always remain a little fearful of how capable it is. And as long as we don't get full congressional legislation on it, I just, it's going to be full steam ahead, and I have no idea where it's going to go. Speaking of congressional, I'm going to talk about threads a little bit here and there because of the whole scenario going on with x slash twitter.com as a lot of accounts that are well-known have kind of went dark and have uh, other companies have since stopped advertising for x slash twitter.com. Now, the topic is, of course, a little sensitive for some people. The platform owner, Elon Musk, has been responding and agreeing with anti-Semitic and white power accounts, and it is, of course, something I will not touch on a lot because... It's a very sensitive topic, especially with the war going on between Israel and Hamas. I'm not going to dive into what he said or what he agreed with. It's, in my opinion, very awful. But in the meantime, it's been reported and seen that a lot of accounts owned by ESPN, owned by Disney, of course, have kind of went dark around the time that Disney has stopped advertising for the platform. A lot of companies and advertisers have stopped or paused their advertising, including Apple, Warner Bros. Discovery, IBM, and Comcast slash NBC Universal. So, yeah, a lot of advertising is being missed out on there, possibly tens of millions of dollars, something crazy. And I'm, you know, I mean, it's not super surprising. You know, you don't want advertisers, you know, linked up on, no matter how much effort is put into stopping it, sooner or later, content and ads just pop up on, I haven't seen it myself because I don't look into that sort of stuff, but, you know, like, anti-Semitic content, and it's just awful, but can't do much when you don't own the platform. Speaking of, as I mentioned, Threads, you know, platform that's trying to gain steam made under Meta, well, as our U.S. President Joe Biden turns 81, he has also gifted himself a Threads account. The White House, the Vice President, and Second, gen uh, second Gentleman have all signed up for a Threads account, so they'll probably be Posting for that, the White House wrote, quote, the wait is Jover, unquote. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know where else to go from that. But it does not mean they will stop posting on x slash It is what seems to be possibly a coincidence, a dink of sorts. And yeah, don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with xslashdoor.com, there's always something happening with the platform. It is just so crazy to see. It is a train wreck, a disaster of incredible proportions, and I have no idea how it'll go from there. Speaking of, as we talk about Congress for a little bit, if uh, I just found this out recently, but the U.S. government is once again offering more at-home COVID tests that you'll be able to get for free. You can now place an order from the USPS website, and they'll start shipping the week of November 27th. I'll definitely be doing that after I record this podcast. Always to be better safe than sorry. Don't know why anyone would disagree with that. What anyone would 
should also not disagree with, so agree with, is what's going on with cutting content from streaming services? It just seems like so unwanted, and it's always cost-cutting, and it's just unfortunate. A report came out that apparently Paramount Plus... Uh, this is a study by Real Good. Found that between October last year and October this year, the number of movies on Paramount Plus has reduced by a whopping sixty-four percent. That's a lot. That's more than sixty-three percent. That is almost two-thirds. This uh, lighter catalog, part of the company's initiative to move toward profitability, as all other companies and services are doing, but sixty-four percent is a pretty big number. I don't use Paramount Plus a whole lot. I do have the service for the sake of my family my family uses it a lot and i mean so i, I wouldn't know this notice this a whole lot but 64 percent sounds like a pretty big number um especially as services continue to raise and rising costs unless you're stars for some reason um in that same period most of the streamers have been building up their film catalogs including disney plus peacock and hulu now every now and then you're gonna see content drop off like flies but I don't really see a whole lot of Hulu and Peacock removing their content. But then again, I don't really know how much of a study is going toward analyzing those. So take that with a massive grain of salt, an unusually large size of salt. What you should not take a large grain of salt toward is Half-Life, one of those beloved PC games of all time, turned 25. Eesh. That's older than me. They received a big update for it including new content, official support for Valve's uh, recently released handheld, the Steam Deck, recently being last year, but they released a refresh for it. You can check that out in my last week's episode. They now have official support for it, and even a documentary for it. So Valve says that there are four new multiplayer maps that, quote, push the limits of what's possible in the Half-Life engine. Remember, this game released 25 years ago, late 90s. Ugh. A lot longer than uh, it feels, I don't know, for me. I mean, that was before I was born, so I mean, I don't really, you know, I, get, I, I can't relate. But I can definitely sense that there is quite some feeling. Uh, the game now includes Half-Life Uplink, a, quote, mini-campaign, unquote, originally only available on CDs from magazines and hardware manufacturers, the company has said. And there's also maps and multiplayer character mods from a CD called Half-Life Further Data. New settings include a widescreen field of view, a, quote, proper gamepad config, um, and that it is Steam Deck verified, so it should play great with the Steam Deck. A lot of changes overall, and that there is a new 25th anniversary documentary covering a lot of cool stuff, and I guess maybe the background of the game. Good stuff, and I'm glad it's still being looked at 25 years later. That's some crazy dedication. But then again, Valve has barely any games. They release one every few years, and it's either massive success like Dota 2, Half-Life Alex, or mass failure Artifact. Oof, we don't talk about that game. Um, and yeah, I mean, come on. Where's Half-Life 3? 25 years? Really? Ugh. Team Fortress 3, Dota 3, Left 4 Dead 3. They just don't know 3. They know 4, Left 4 Dead, but I don't know. Now, this is going to be an interesting partnership, but this is a big one. Amazon going back a little bit into the tech, has announced that they will be doing online car sales starting with Hyundai. They're going to let Hyundai dealers list vehicles on its site starting 2024. So you'll be able to buy a car on Amazon for the first time. Previously, customers could browse car showrooms and compare prices, but not actually buy a car. 
Soon, however, next year, several Hyundai dealers will start to list their models for sale on the site. I'm wondering how far that'll go. Will there still be dealer fees? Almost certainly, even though it'll be a lot less necessary. But, hey, I mean, free delivery with Amazon Prime would be pretty nice. Customers can browse cars on the site and make a purchase using their preferred payment methods. They can then choose to pick the car up at a nearby dealership or have it delivered at their convenience. Like I said, Amazon Prime is right there. Make a free delivery. That'd be really, really cool. Extremely unlikely, but, I mean, you never know. The end seller at the, of the vehicle will still be the dealer. Amazon's platform will just be the middleman between the customer and dealership. It's unclear if the company is talking to other automakers about doing the same thing. Definitely not, and I'm not expecting Tesla, but hey, Ford, General Motors, you know, if the new Chevy Bolt becomes sellable on Amazon, that'd be pretty cool, and, you know, more electric cars, as it makes sense, in my opinion. Part of this deal, Hyundai vehicles starting in 2025 will also have Amazon's A-L-E-X-A voice system, I'm going to say it, Amazon Alexa starting 2025, and Hyundai will use Amazon's web services for cloud services, AWS. So, good stuff. I hate car shopping. I'm still trying to do it for my first car, but I'm excited for whatever the future holds there. It'll probably be after I buy my first car. I'm not sure what it's going to be. Let me know your recommendations. Or maybe not. I don't know. Um, and, well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And, of course, if other automakers join in and do something similar. Hey, maybe Ford Explorers on eBay. <laughs> you never know. We also don't expect and know in advance, at least unless you have insider information, is that Windows is now an app for Apple's products. Didn't see that coming. Microsoft has created a new, quote, Windows app for accessing its OS on a variety of devices including what seems to be iPhones, iPads, Macs, and, of course, PCs. It essentially takes the previous Windows 365 app and turns it into a central hub for streaming a copy of Windows from a remote PC as your virtual desktop, Windows 365, Microsoft DevBox, and Microsoft's remote desktop services. Supports multiple monitors, custom display resolutions, and redirection for peripherals such as webcams, storage devices, and printers. Keeping in mind, as of now, or this article I'm reading... This is not available for Android. Ironic. Especially if you have a Samsung device and, of course, Windows. Very powerful integration with the PhoneLink app. Very, very little, little ironic. It could, this may signal Microsoft's broader ambitions to move Windows away from just being a local operating system and more so to the cloud. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But, hmm. Not really for me, especially because, I mean, I'm already on Windows put Windows on Windows, now that's just Windowception. I don't know how to play that otherwise. A better joke. But what is not a joke are security keys. You really want to make sure you have your security keys. And if you don't know what a security key is, it's pretty much, you know, we all have passwords. Some of us have uh, text messages for second factor authentication, maybe emails, or maybe our phone in some capacity. But security keys are extremely, and their name, secure, because they just straight up require you to plug a device into wherever you're signing into, whether it's a phone or computer, and I think tap on it, tap on an area for it, and then it works its magic, and you're logged into your account with that as your second-factor authentication. Extremely tight-knit, and if you lose one, you're screwed. But, of course, it's always better to have backups. 
Google has had the Titan security key, and they just released a new iteration for it. Two new versions are now available with either USB Type-C or USB Type-A connection, both also having NFC near-field communication, so it can connect wirelessly to phones and other mobile devices without having to be plugged in. You just tap it on the back of your phone. I've done it before. I have a few security keys myself. They are very cool and epic, and I absolutely recommend having at least two. You don't want to get one and then lose it, and then well, you might be screwed. So these are FIDO2 compatible, F-I-D-O2 compatible. So they'll support a lot of different services. And they also have enough storage on board to hold more than 250 unique pass keys. Good stuff. And if you're interested, you know, definitely do your own research and check them out. I recommend getting them. You don't have to get it from Google. There's also YubiKey, I think, YubiCo, that also has them. I have one Google key and two YubiKeys. Absolutely recommend them. Just make sure you're using services that'll actually use them. You don't want to buy them and then, whoops, I don't have a, I don't use a service that uses them. Um, and also be careful if they restrict any features. For example, I set them up, unfortunately, with Coinbase. And it was only afterward that I found out that Coinbase does not work well with a lot of third-party services that check your net worth. And, of course, API access has become necessary, and I can't do it without security keys and my dumb AF self lost one, and I will now never have API access. The good news is I cashed out, so whatever. And uh, one of the last few things to talk about is that with the chaotic situation going on with satellite connectivity and Android phones, Apple has decided, you know what? We're going to let iPhone 14 owners off a little easy, and we're going to give you all an extra year of free emergency SOS services. Qcom has abandoned Android's take on the satellite power safety feature, so now Apple can have a little bit of a longer time to determine how much it should cost because they are so far ahead in the competition, clearly, that they are able to do so, which is painful to consider because satellite-based connectivity is incredible and can become critically important as I've had to do some news articles and packages on and at work, talking about situations where they this technology saved someone because they had the newest iPhone with satellite connectivity. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's upsetting that the satellite connectivity, I'm certain, was a rumor for a very long time. And for some reason, Android has not had a proper response to it. I think there's like a Motorola device you can connect to, but that's like external you know, not not the perfect solution. And, you know, what SpaceX is doing and whatnot, and other companies, of course, where they're just integrating it one way or another into the phones we use now, pretty cool stuff, but I would like more options. I wouldn't, anyone, not want more options. So now we're leading to near the end, but of course, as always, I got to talk about something in futurology, something that could impact us in the future or maybe right now. And I've been talking about a lot of concept ideas and devices and whatnot that are very small in use and may or may not actually become mainstream. But I'm going to talk about something that's already been making an impact. E-bikes. Very, very popular stuff. And an article by Ars Technico has been saying that 280 million e-bikes have been slashing oil demand far more than electric vehicles have been. So it could be a surprising push to improve our situation internationally with climate change to have e-bikes rather than a big 
early push to electric vehicles. Now, both should obviously have a massive focus compared to anything that uses oil or gas, even hybrids, in my opinion. But in this article, it says close to half, 44% of all Australian commuter trips are by car under 10 kilometers. So, you know, a lot of short trips that utilize normal cars that are outputting pollution and emissions that just suck. But on the world's roads last year, over 20 million electric vehicles and 1.3 million commercial EVs existed, including buses, delivery vans, and trucks. They are wholly eclipsed by two- and three-wheelers. Over 280 million electric mopeds, scooters, motorcycles, and three-wheelers, according to estimates by Bloomberg New Energy Finance. The sheer popularity is cutting down demand for oil by a million barrels a day, about 1% of the world's total oil demand. Incredible. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, big stuff. And, you know, maybe I'll have an electric e-bike. That's an e-bike. An e-bike, you know, in the future rather than a traditional bike. But, yeah, I'm I'm excited for where the future goes for e-bikes if they continue to improve themselves and efficiency and range while electric vehicles continue to get better then well we're pretty screwed still as a whole on climate change because we are only now acting it feels in the past several years at least since the past decade or two but you know this helps a little bit every little bit helps e-bike scooters displacing four times as much demand for oil as all the evs in the world it's just great to see and i hope we keep improving ourselves as a society because I am scared for the future if we don't, and it is very likely that we do not. Anyway, thank you all for listening in. I appreciate everyone that tunes in to my podcast every Tuesday night throughout the week. And if you're interested in all sorts of articles and covers that I do in the future, make sure to check out thefreshwire.com. It is a wondrous site full of some articles and Of course, you know, another way, another opportunity to check out my podcast. So if you're interested, make sure to do all of that. And I appreciate it if you do. And it's A-OK if you don't. I won't know unless you tell me. And if you tell me you're not going to do it, I'd prefer maybe you just don't. There's no benefit. You're just wasting air. So that'll be it for me. Thank you all one last time for tuning in. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And I will catch you all in the next episode. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a gosh darn good one. Peace and have a good day, night, afternoon, evening, morning, wherever you are, however you live. See you around.